glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Honor for God's Word as we read together. We'll read the first five verses of Psalm 40. And this is a Psalm of David. Uh, probably says that there in your Bible under Psalm 40. And I think that has significance. Uh, it says, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor uh, such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, that cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Thank you. You may be seated. And certainly could read on the psalm and get further context, but he begins, and our focus is going to be on a few things here in the first uh, four verses, especially the first three verses, where David says that he waited patiently for the Lord and inclined unto me. He starts by talking about his having to wait and then what the Lord did for him. And may I say this today? I think as we read our Bibles, there's undoubtedly we find accounts of people doing things for the Lord. Amen? People serving the Lord. We find uh, that uh, in obedience to the Lord, by faith in the Lord, Noah built an ark at the Lord's command and uh, did so by faith. And you can go on through and find Solomon built a temple for the glory of the Lord and so forth. But if we're not careful, I said this in Sunday school, and I'm going to repeat this now. If we look at the Bible, there are certain things that are spoken that deal with godliness or, let me put it to you like this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and, uh, 2, 8, 9, and 10 outline an order of God's dealings in our life. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then verse 10 goes on to say, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That verse 10 explains so much. Salvation is when God takes a man that is dead in his sins, deals with him through his word, and convinces him, you are fitted, you are worthy of destruction worthy of hell, we believe God because it's true. God reveals to us His Son, Jesus Christ, through His Word and leads us to the place we realize the only hope we have of salvation is if Jesus Christ does it for us. When we do that and realize He's done for us what needs to be done, believe God, put our trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says He does a work called regeneration. He puts life within a dead soul. Our part is faith. We take Him at His Word. He's promised, I'll save you if you trust we trust, He saves, He regenerates, we're given life. Now that life is a new person. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that new creature is whose workmanship? His workmanship. The new creature, the, the person that was once a condemned sinner on his way to hell is now a forgiven child of God, a saint on his way to heaven. That's the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There are good works we should do 
because we belong to God, because we're children. What happens is we can get focused on, that's called godliness. When we do what is good and right in obedience to God because he saved us, those good works that are not the root of salvation but the fruit of salvation, when we mix that up, when the root is said to be the, the fruit is said to be the root, the good works are to be the means of salvation, what happens is it confuses things. And it causes, it causes, uh, it gets God's order out of place. And so, as we look here, the emphasis, and this is what has to do with Psalm 40, the emphasis is on what God did for David before David could do some things for God. Before the psalm is done, David is singing God's praises, but why? Because he knew what God did for him. And there's a tremendous picture of salvation when you are born again. May I say this, though? Because it's general enough, there's a tremendous picture. How many know that as God's child, after you get saved, you can get snared as a sheep? Absolutely. And there's an application to what our shepherd does for us. That's why I say it's significant that David wrote this. If you understand what a little lamb might do in wandering around, he might end up falling in a pit. And if a lamb falls in a pit, he's only getting out one way. He's not going to crawl out, climb out, think his way out, or get another sheep to pull him out. It's going to take the shepherd to come and pull him out. Amen? I say this to people often. Salvation is not in what we do for God, but in what God has done for us. You need to ponder that. Salvation is not what we perform and do for God. It is what God has done for us. And we do for Him because He's done for us. We love Him because He first loved us. And that's what I find in these few verses in Psalm 40. So let's, let's dive in here. I'll give you three simple things this morning with the Lord's help uh, out of the 40th Psalm. And if you're here this morning and God has already saved you, this ought to thrill your heart because it will remind you of what He's done and it should. I enjoy people that sing with all their heart. I'll just say that. I appreciate the young people coming and not halfway singing, but singing, amen, with all of their heart. What we do, we should do heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. I believe when David sang after getting out of the pit, he didn't go, oh, well, I'm glad I'm saved. I think he was probably glad he wasn't in a pit anymore. Now, it's hard, in fact, impossible to sing a praise to God if you're still in the miry clay. And so let's, let's consider a few things this morning. First of all, he speaks of and the horrible pit. That's the Bible terminology. He said in verse 1 of Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. We'll get to verse 3 a little bit later. As we look at this horrible pit, we will not have to say anything the Bible doesn't say. We just want to focus on and meditate for a few minutes on what it does say. David doesn't simply describe this as a pit. He describes it as an horrible pit. If you've lived very long, you can envision portions of your life that this verse brings to your memory. You may be living there now. I don't know hearts this morning, but an horrible pit is a it is a word picture that David uses. This is poetry in the sense of the kind of literature it is inspired by God through the pen of David, but it's poetry nonetheless, meaning he's using metaphor. We all know David does not mean he literally fell into a pit physically. Undoubtedly, he had in his mind, as he had said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down uh, in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He had made the analogy. David understood sheep and shepherding sheep. He was a shepherd. So he made the analogy to the Lord Jesus. God is my shepherd. I am the sheep. And it just seems to me very clear that at some point in time, he must have had a sheep. The Bible doesn't say this, but you can envision a little lamb or a sheep falling into a pit. If he didn't have that in mind, what pits would be used in those days, that was a part of the way a man would snare an animal. That's how, Or your enemy. You'd dig a pit, uh, make sure it had enough slime in the bottom to hold whatever falls in there, miry clay, and that person or that animal would fall in the pit, and the hunter can come back later. There's still portions of the world. This is still how hunting can be done. And that animal's in the bottom, and the hunter comes back and kills that animal, retrieves it out, and then, of course, does with it as he will. Nonetheless, what we do understand is the word picture is David had been at a point in his life that he described not only as a pit, but a horrible pit. And I want you to envision with me this morning a pit being a deep enough hole that it's abundantly clear he couldn't get out of on his own. Uh, A hole, and when you think of a hole, it's deep enough below the ground that you're living and you're existing. But I want you to think about this for just a moment. You are below where everybody else is at. You're not at ground level. You are now below the surface of the earth. That's exactly what a pit does. And the idea that it's a horrible pit is explained when he says that God took his feet and pulled him out of the miry clay. So we have enough explanation to know this is a hole dug in the ground uh, uh, down below the surface and the depth of the earth that in the bottom is miry clay. That miry clay is just exactly what you'd think, sticky clay that is deep enough and sticky enough that here's the way this would work, as I understand. When, if you've ever been in clay like this, you know exactly what it's talking about. If you've ever been in a duck marsh, have you ever been duck or goose hunting? And you've been in the cattails, you know what I'm talking about. You put this foot in, and you try to pull this one out, and you kick your boot loose, and all of a sudden your foot comes out of your waders, and you back down you go, and you try the net. That's miry clay. It's very hard to make progress in miry clay. I've known some people who couldn't. They had to lean on somebody else to help them. Can I get an amen, Steve? Yeah, yeah, right. Miry clay will hang you up. But it's all right if you're in the miry clay out in the duck marsh and you've got some hunting buddies, you can get somebody to come get you unstuck. But when you're in miry clay in a pit, guess how many people are in the pit with you? None. How many of you think there are people today who are extremely depressed? How you know what depressed means? Down. David is describing a season in his life where he is down below emotionally and spiritually where everybody else is around him. He had fallen into a trap. Now the question would be, how in the world did he get into that pit? This is, this is deep. I don't know. He fell in. Was he stupid? Should he have not known the pit was there? Was he off the path that he was supposed to be on? Probably. And unlikely, if he'd been where he's supposed to be, he wouldn't fall in the pit. But you know what? The Bible and the Spirit of God who authored our Bible didn't find it necessary to tell us how he got in, but to know this, he did get in. How many of you believe the shepherd led the sheep into the pit? How many believe the shepherd dug the pit? No way. Shepherd does not dig pits for his sheep. Enemies dig pits. And he got in the pit that was not designed by a friend, but by a foe. Here's the thing. He got himself in, but he couldn't get himself out. Now, I shouldn't have to say a lot more than that, and many minds here should go, ooh, I can relate to that. Pits would be 
traps, snares we get ourselves in that bring us down, they bring us low in a miry pit. I'm speaking to you now about the conditions of this pit. I want you to think about a few of the conditions in here. Number one, it's filthy. In a pit, you're not going to get clean. In a pit, all you can do is walk in the mire that's there and any more mire that might be created while you're there. You can try all you want to clean yourself up when you're in a miry pit. There's not running water. All you have is the filth that you have fallen into to try to get out of. Am I making sense this morning? This is the word picture God created. I stepped off the path I'm supposed to be on, whether I was led there, deceived there. It doesn't really matter. A pit's not designed by the shepherd. It's designed by an enemy to trap someone, and I'm in it. And now that I'm in that pit, I can do all that I want to try to get my feet clean, and it's not going to happen. The only way to get the mire of the pit off of you is to get out of the pit. So it's a filthy place. Anybody else think, help help me this morning. I want your minds to turn with me. What else would be the conditions you would find in a pit like this? Dark, exactly. It's exactly where my mind is. It's dark. There's going to be some light coming in. I thought of it this way. You've got light at the end of your tunnel. The problem is your tunnel is straight up. I don't do you any good. You got light coming in just enough for you to know out there is freedom. Out there I could find some running water and get myself cleaned up. Out there, up above me, there's a, there is a life above where I'm living that's not filthy. There's a life above where I'm living where I am free to step as I know I should. If you could be out of that pit, where would you, if you're a sheep, you're a sheep and you're a lamb and you've fallen into that pit, you say, you know what, I, by the way, if you're a sheep and you're in a pit with miry clay, you are uncomfortable. Pigs love miry pits. Sheep do not. And in that pit where there's a trap and a snare, it's dark. There's no, you're surrounded by walls. If you thought, I know my shepherd is due north. You can try to go due north all you want. All you're going to do is hit a wall. You with me this morning? It's a place of, of filth. It's miry. It's a place of darkness. you got just enough light to know you're trapped. Just enough light, just enough knowledge and understanding to know I am not free to go the direction I ought to go. Now, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's how we know the Spirit of the Lord doesn't lead you into pits. He doesn't entrap you. He doesn't ensnare you. He frees you to do right. But here in this pit, it's dark. It's filthy. It's a place of bondage. That's what a pit is designed to do to keep you from going where you could go to safety so that the one who wants to destroy you can come back and finish you when he's ready. Or if it's a if it's a thief, he can come and snatch you out of there and steal you from your rightful owner and use you however he sees fit. That's the conditions in this pit as described. It is a horrible pit. It is a place where no one would want to be. Think about this. When you're in a pit like this, You are aware of the world around you, but the world around you is not aware of you. If you could give any description to a person who has fallen into a snare of the devil and is wallowing in the mire of their sin and the filth that is around them, they say, you know what? I know there's another world out there where people walk freely, but you know what? When someone's in a pit, how many many people do you think looked across that pasture and saw, oh, hey, there's a pit and the sheep inside? No, you're invisible. You don't exist as it relates to other men. You do exist, but not in the minds of other men. You're a nobody. You don't count because they don't see you. 
You're not walking where they walk. So the conditions in the pit, it's a horrible pit with miry clay. And you think about this, not only is it filthy and dirty, and the more you try to get out, guess what? The dirtier you get. And I'm painting for you a picture of someone who has fallen for some lie of Satan, believed some lie, and began walking a life. Uh, you think about it this way. Maybe, maybe, and we'll just, we'll not make the Bible say this because it doesn't, but maybe some little lamb saw a little green pasture over there, and the shepherd is over here, and he thought, you know, that grass is greener than my grass. My dad has a profound statement about green grass. He said, the grass is always greener over a septic tank. And it's true. <laughs> Be careful chasing green grass. But maybe the little lamb says, ooh, that looks like good tender grass. I don't like the idea of a dark valley. I like these green pastures and still waters. And my shepherd, he must not know what he's doing. He's leading me through a dark valley. There's got to be lions and tigers and bears in that dark valley. So I prefer to stay down here where the eating is good. And so the little lamb starts drifting from the shepherd. And next thing you know, between point A and point B, there's a pit that some cunning, wise enemy dug, knowing that ignorant little lambs don't listen to their shepherd, they listen to their appetite. I hope you're following this metaphor this morning. And they follow that appetite and that cunning deceiver has laid thorns and briars so that the lamb is afraid to turn off and all he can see is green grass and boom, next thing you know, he says, how would I get here? Sometimes somebody, one little step of disobedience to the shepherd, they say, boy, I don't like the way that the shepherd is leading me. If I follow his direction now, it's going to be scary. It's going to be dark. No telling what God will call me to be. I like these green pastures of a better life now, and I'm going to go over here. Next thing you know, you're involved in a sin, and you can't get out. And you're up neck deep in it or knee deep in it. And you say, boy, if I can't get out of the pit, at least I can get clean. And you pull up this foot and you lick it clean and you say, okay, that, that right front's clean now, so you stick it back down and, uh-oh. You know what happens? That little lamb can stand in there and lick clean every foot and you know what he's doing? Nothing but getting filthy all over. You get into sin and you get into a snare of the devil and whether this is the lostness of sin of someone who's never been saved or a child of God who's strayed from the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you try to clean yourself while in a miry pit, it is a vain, useless effort. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Now you say, that helps a lot. The sheep might be in there and think, man, if I had just followed my shepherd, I wouldn't be here. But that doesn't get you out of the pit. Acknowledgement that you did wrong doesn't get you out of where you are. Amen? He's in the pit. It is The conditions are dark and filthy and imprisoning. It's a place of bondage. I can only imagine. There's a wonderful little, uh, a little fable. Uh, a missionary, Dr. Paul White, used to do these fables for the people in Africa where he served. And he, he used this Bible to, uh, story to illustrate. And he's got a little antelope that's fallen in a pit. And along comes his uh, hippopotamus friends and says, Look, you shouldn't be in the pit. It was stupid of you to end up there. Well, thank you. That helps me a lot. He says, There are ten laws that will help keep you out of pits. I got news for you. If you're in a pit, the Ten Commandments aren't going to climb you out. Knowing how to stay out of the pit won't help you. You're in it. You with me this morning? Someone says, I tell you what, just believe in your inner strength and jump out of the pit. You try jumping out of miry clay. You can't even get one foot above the other. It's not going to work. When you are in a pit, 
If you're going to get out, there's only one way out. Someone else is going to have to do it for you. I want to tell you something. You'll never get saved from your sins until you can see yourself in this light. Until you can see what I'm supposed to be clean and where I'm supposed to be following the shepherd cannot be done unless the shepherd lifts me, cleanses me, and frees me from where I'm at. Salvation is of the Lord. And I believe there are multiple illustrations in the Bible, both of unsaved men, like the thief on the cross, who realized if Jesus Christ doesn't do something for me, I'm about to drop into an eternity of, of, of hell. And he said, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Jesus Christ lifted him out. But there's also pictures of saints who have gotten into pits like Jonah, who God said, go to Nineveh and preach. And he said, I'm not doing it. That's a dark valley. I'm going to stay in the green pastures of Tarshish. And God put him in the pit of the belly of a whale. As a man of God, God put him there. But you know how he got out of the pit? Same way David got out of this one. And so then, there's a horrible pit. The conditions are dark and filthy and imprisoning and no amount of philosophizing or thinking. How many of you can relate to this? When you have fallen into one of Satan's traps, the more you think, the worse it gets. You'll never think your way out of a snare of the devil. Not ever. (laughs) You could sit in that pit and say, if I climb really hard up the side, if I dream what it would be like to be on the top, none of that will work. You don't get out of pits through mental purpose. So it's a horrible pit. The conditions, the consequences is that he's trapped, he's imprisoned, he's filthy, and he's unable to be free. And so then that's the horrible pit. But number two in in this text, we see a humble prayer. David says this in verse 1, I waited patiently for who? The Lord. Why? Why is he waiting for the Lord? Here's why. He says, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. That's why we're using the word prayer. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings. The humble prayer is seen in this. David says at some point in time, we understand this from this text, he had cried out to God. So at some point in time... He realized, as the sheep and the Lord being the shepherd, unless the Lord delivers me, I'm never getting out of here. That is true. When you're in a pit, what do you have to look forward to? Especially when you have tried repeatedly to get out. Another day of tromping in the mire? You know what you have to look forward to when you're in the pit? When comes the day when the guy who dug this is coming back? Now, I hope this has somebody's attention in this room. Because somebody, perchance, I've been here, I have lived what I'm preaching this morning. When does the person who designed the mess I'm in coming back to finish me off? When you are snared by Satan and in a pit of sin, all you have to look forward to is death and destruction. That's all. It is through the fear of death that Satan holds men in bondage. You can read that in the book of Hebrews. Who all their lifetime through fear of death were subject to bondage. Oh, if you cry out, mess this. What would be one of the reasons you might not cry out if you're in the pit? Well, if I cry, maybe the shepherd will hear me. But maybe the enemy will hear me. You know what? I like to hunt predators, just like I like to hunt a lot of other things. And if you're out in the woods and you want to get the attention, I saw uh, in, in late season for elk, I was out trying to find elk and finding nothing but coyotes. And so I see a coyote, he's way across, 350 yards. And I have learned you can make a little noise with your lips and sound like a squealing rabbit. And I thought, I've done this before, let's try it again. 
And all I had is a muzzleloader. I can't make a 350-yard shot with a muzzleloader. I can't even make it with a rifle, let alone with a muzzleloader. And so I started making a sound that sounded like a squealing rabbit. And the coyote trotted along like he didn't know I was on the planet, and I knew better. He went up the top of the hill and stopped and directly did a 180-degree turn. And here he came. And you know what got his attention? He thought I was something he could eat in distress. Now, if you're in the bottom of a pit, and we're not going to use a bunch of imagination, but this is the, the word picture God gave us. There are some today say, I should cry out to the Lord, but they're so filled with fear of what's coming next, they won't even do that. And so here in the bottom of this pit, it's a place that we've described as a place that's filthy, it's miry, clay, it's a place of bondage, it's a pit. Because it's a pit, that means it's down low and it's dark and whatever's inside is unable to, of its own power, crawl out. But then we do find at some point, the man that says, I'm the one that was in the pit, I can't, he came to a place where he knew that the Lord's eyes and ears are in every place. Uh, Proverbs tells us, the eyes of the Lord, Proverbs 15, verse 1, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Psalm 139, which the Lord used David to, to write, he said, Whither shall I flee from thy presence? The psalmist understood the Lord God who made me, Jehovah God, knows the, the circumstance I am in. What, let's think very quickly, what might be another reason a sheep that is in a pit would not call out where the shepherd could hear? A sound of distress tells the shepherd, you are somewhere you shouldn't be. Should any sheep be in the bottom of a pit? And if I bleed out, Lord, help, I'm having to acknowledge I got somewhere you never intended me to be and now you know it. But doesn't he know it anyway? Doesn't the shepherd count the sheep under the rod every night? Doesn't he know if he's got a hundred and one of them's missing? When you cry out, you are acknowledging I am a sheep who have, has got myself in a position that I can't get out of you're the shepherd and I am pleading with you to help me. I'm going to tell you what, nothing will catch the attention of a shepherd, whether the great shepherd or an under-shepherd, like a sheep that says, I am in trouble, help! As a shepherd, if you're a pastor, the first thing you think is, well, you idiot, why are you in the... No, that is not what you think. Some think that's what the pastor would think. Why are you so stupid to end up in the bottom of a pit? I'll tell you what you think. I've been where you've been. I'll get to you as soon as I can. You with me? Our chief shepherd, when you cry out to him and say, Lord, I'm in a place I ought not be, but I want out. David said he cried. And the Lord inclined. You know what I like? I like it when I say something and someone says, come again. You ever say something and man, it just gets somebody's attention? What they're doing is inclining their ear. You're saying something and they say, you're important to me, so I want to hear what you have to say. Please repeat that. I, I heard you called me. What is it you need? And he gives us the Lord's response, and we'll see that in a minute. But what I want you to see is that David's prayer, I call it a humble prayer, because you're acknowledging I am helpless. I have gotten myself, I am in a position of filth and darkness and I am depressed. I am down in a place I cannot bring myself out of, but I'm going to cry. A cry is beyond simply a petition. A cry is a, is a sound of distress. A lamb cries. It's a bleat that a shepherd can hear from a long distance to know that little one is in trouble. You know what? God needs to hear from us. 
I acknowledge I'm in trouble. There came a point with the psalmist that he said, my shepherd needs to know where I'm at and I want him to know that I want help. You find in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus was given a hard time by those who thought they weren't sinners about how he helped sinners. Right? Because he's a friend of what? Publicans and sinners. Now, the wicked of our day say, see there, Jesus was a party animal. He went and hung out with sinners. That's not what your Bible says. It says he came to call sinners to repentance. The Lord Jesus came so that those in the pit would know he was in proximity, that he could hear their cry, and if they wanted out of the pit, he'd pull them out. Now, if you're content to live in the bottom of the pit until the enemy comes along and deals with you, enjoy. The life of sin is a life of a pit. You get in by freedom, but then you lose your freedom and have not the freedom to get out. This sin is a snare. And so here's the humble prayer. He said he cried to the Lord. I see two things in the prayer, though. First of all, the plea. It was a cry for help. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry, which means it was a, a plea to God for deliverance. But there's not only a plea, there is patience. He said, I did what? I waited patiently for the Lord. You know what that tells me? There was a gap of time between his cry and the response that he could see. You know what? When you're in a pit, do you know where the shepherd's at? you know where the Lord is? You can't see him, can you? You just got to know based on his character that he's there. Amen? You just got to know that he's promised that his eyes are in every place. There's no place that we are that he cannot see. Uh, that he knows the very hairs of our head, that a sparrow doesn't fall on the ground without him knowing. How do we know all that about God? Because we can see it or because he told us? some point in time, the man in the bottom of the pit knew the character of the man outside of the pit, the chief shepherd, the Lord, and he made a cry, and between the cry and the deliverance, there was a gap of time. But when he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, this tells me this. He had come to the place where he was going to turn to the Lord and not turn anywhere else for help. Waiting patiently means to cheerfully or, or, or joyfully endure. That's the idea. So it's not like, well, I'll try the Lord, and if that doesn't work, I'll try crawling out some other way. There came a point where the one in the pit was convinced that the Lord was his answer, and he cried and said, I'll sit here and I will wait until he responds to my cry. I waited patiently for the Lord. May I say this? If the Lord's going to help us, we must learn that faith not only prays, but faith is patient. If the Lord is who he says he is, then he heard me when I cried. Can I say that again? If the Lord and he is who he says he is, then he heard me when I cried. I'm going to ask you this. Can you find in the Bible a record of any ever, one time, a repentant sinner crying for deliverance and not receiving it? Now, I worded that carefully. There were those who were regretful sinners, but not repentant. Judas was regretful, but not repentant. Judas said, I betrayed the innocent blood. He acknowledged who Jesus was. But he never went to Jesus and said so. He took it into his own hands. He said, my way out is suicide. Not forgiveness, suicide. He was a regretful sinner, but not a repentant one. Pharaoh said, I have sinned. I oughtn't have done this, but he wasn't repentant. King Saul said, I have sinned, but he wasn't repentant. He never said to God, I've sinned. He said it to David. He said it to other people, but he never said, I've sinned against you. Do with me as you will. That's what David did. 
There's a difference in repentance and remorse, regret and remorse and regret and repentance. And so I do not find in my Bible ever a repentant sinner crying for deliverance and not receiving it. The thief on the cross, what did he do to deserve the attention of Jesus Christ? Nothing but put his faith in him. Nothing. Saul of Tarsus. May I ask you a question? Let's just be honest. If we were the Lord, would we forgive and save Saul of Tarsus? i got news for you. If you went and killed three of my children or were responsible for their deaths, and then you want me to come and sign you up in my service, you've got another thing coming. The Lord not only saved him, he turned him into an apostle. I'm trying to say this morning... If you, if you and I are at a place we say, you know what, I have gotten myself where I'm at. I am in a dark place in my heart and my mind. I'm in a place where no one seems to know where I'm at. The Lord does. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. And if you read the 139th Psalm, we'll find there's no place that you can escape from His presence. And so the psalmist came to a place where he pleaded with the Lord and patience has the idea. Patience is based on faith is what I'm trying to say. Patience is based upon faith. To wait patiently means you are expecting the one you cried to to do something. Patience there has to do with an earnest expectation. All of a sudden, once he cried, now he's not just waiting for the enemy to show up. He's waiting for the master to show up. And this morning, what it takes, please bear with me, but what it takes to get us to the point where we'll say, All right, Lord, I'm ready. Please, you just, you do with me whatever you want, but please get me out of this pit. I got myself in, but I need you to come and deliver me. And so I waited patiently for the Lord. So in his humble prayer, we see the humility. It was a plea of faith, but we see the patience there that he's willing to wait until the Lord inclines on him and helps him. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait upon the Lord, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Look at Isaiah very quickly, chapter 30, verses 15 and 18. Isaiah 30, verses 15 and 18. One of the reasons we have our Bible is so we can be familiar not only with who the Lord is, but His ways. How many of us know the Lord does not always move and act as quickly as we would like? And that's very true. And as I said, if you're in a pit... How many of you know the Lord, the shepherd, could be moving his direction? And if you're in a pit, you don't know that. If, if the, 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 the Lord was over there and he heard the cry of that sheep, and I understand God's not on time like we are, but bear with the picture that's given. You're inside the pit. The Lord can be actively working to get you out, but you're not going to know that until his hand reaches down and pulls you out. Isaiah 30, verse 15, this is a powerful verse. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved in quietness and in confidence. That's describing patience. Shall be your strength. But then it says this, and ye would not. Verse 18, and therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. I want to make this point. Sometimes people say something like this. Try the Lord like you would try a new herb for your ailment. That is not correct. You don't try the Lord. Well, what will it hurt to try? What you're saying is, he may not work for you, but he worked for me, so you try. Ah, 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 that is not faith. That's, in fact, unbelief. The Lord is faithful. Don't try the Lord. Trust him. 
I mean, I say try. People, how many of you know, when you have a, a health problem, people who dearly love you say, have you tried this? Have you tried this? All of a sudden, you know, we say doctors practice, right? Because they're practicing trying to find something that will help you. That's not the way we're working here. The Lord helps those that trust him, period. So put your trust in the Lord and wait and see what he'll do. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I might answer you. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. If I ask and he doesn't answer, then he lied. If I seek and do not find, and I'm talking about seeking him, asking for his wisdom, asking for him, knocking for the doors that he has in front of me, if he doesn't answer that, then he lied and God cannot lie. Ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. And so David asked, but after he asked, there was a gap of time between crying out and getting out. Gap of time between crying out and getting out. And yet he said, I waited patiently, meaning I knew that he would hear my cry and I waited for him to come. So there was a horrible pit, a humble prayer. And thirdly, and that's the heart of this whole message, there was a heavenly provision. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me. Here's what God did. David cried out of faith, believing that God was able to deliver him. And by the way, through Jesus Christ, God is able right now to deliver men from sin. Not only deliver us from the penalty, which is hell, but deliver us from the power of it, which is the, the pit aspect. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear, so trust in the Lord. You know what? We have a lack today of the fear of the Lord. We really do. And you know why? Because we have a lack of faith. God would do more for us if we would do more trusting of him. I'll say that again until it sinks right down into our hearts. God would do more for us if we'd do more trusting of Him. Everything God has for us, every bit of grace is obtained the same way. The medium of exchange in God's kingdom is faith. You want something from God. You don't pay Him money. You don't pay Him performance. You trust Him. You trust Him. And when you trust God, God gives what you trust Him. You trust Him for forgiveness, He gives you that. You trust Him for wisdom, He gives you that. God wants trust. The Bible so makes that clear. We walk by faith, not by sight. And so then here's what happens. When David, by faith, cried out to the Lord, God did a number of things. Number one, he inclined. God listened to him. How many of you want the Lord to listen to you? Man, I want the Lord to listen to me. When I pray, I want his ears to perk up. Pray this way then. I'm helpless, you're the helper. I'm the sheep, you're the shepherd. I'm the one needs deliverance, you're the one to give it. I'm the one needs direction, I trust you to give it. I'm the one that can't get myself unstuck, but I trust that you can. You cry to God like that, you'll get his ear. Amen? And so then I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry, meaning he listened closely and knew the cry and responded to it. And this verse 2, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Many of you have heard my personal testimony many times. How I came to this conclusion as far as salvation is concerned. Faith in the person of Jesus Christ as just a little child. But there was a portion in my life where I was not following his leading. I was following my own. And I found myself living right here. 
And there are there is freedom in my life today that as a 15-year-old boy, I didn't have. I didn't have the freedom. I, I came to a point, as 15, 16-year-old young man, I said, you know what? I want to stop living the way I'm living. And I tried. It didn't work. And I tried again. It didn't work. And I tried again. It didn't work. And I tried again. It didn't work. Until one day, July of 1997, I cried out. And I recognized who he was. I recognized who I was. I recognized he was my shepherd. I was his sheep. But that I couldn't follow him because of the mess I got myself into. And I can testify without any trouble in my conscience of who lifted me out of the pit I was in my life. You say, what what program did you follow? I didn't. I cried. I said, Lord, I, I don't know what my words were. I have been a fool and sinful and here I am but I'll do whatever you want. From my heart, I cried to him to deliver me. He came along, and all I can explain is some things changed in my heart and my mind, and he gets the credit. He picked me up out of the pit. I had lived in the same spiritual vacuum for a year, two or three years on end, stuck, stuck in a rut, if you would, stuck in a filthy place in my life, stuck in a dark place in my life. I tried every way I knew to get out without having to get, lean on the shepherd to get me out. Because if I get myself out, then I can go whatever way I want. If he gets me out, i got to go the way he wants. You see, it's a matter of will, isn't it? Really. So what happens is the Lord comes along, he inclined, he heard, and then who gets this sheep out of the pit? You know, there came a day I realized I'd messed my life up, but I've tried hard and worked hard, and now I'm, I'm out. No, no, no. He brought me out. And then the Bible says he not only brought me out, he set my feet upon a rock. Is there a difference in miry clay and a rock? In Matthew chapter 7, you have a parable of two men who built their house. And one man dug down deep and built on a rock. And the winds came and the storms and the rain beat upon the house, the floods, and the house stood. There's another man built on the sand. And sand, when wet, turns into shifting sand and his house collapsed. In Matthew chapter 7, what is the rock? It's the word. He said, he that buildeth his house on the rock is he that heareth my words and doeth them. Meaning he actually believes that what I say is true. The rock is the word of God. Jesus Christ himself. He doesn't change. His character doesn't change. His power doesn't change. His, his nothing. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And instead of building on the miry clay of my own reasoning, the Lord brought me out and said, no, you walk on, on this path. And he set my feet on a rock. You know what? My reasoning and my understanding changes. Sometimes better, sometimes worse. But his never does. His word never changes. So he pulled me out, put my feet on a rock, and the Bible says established my goings. Meaning he not only changed what I'm standing on, what I believe in, what I've got confidence in. I was in a pit in miry clay going nowhere, stuck. But he pulled me out, stuck my feet on a rock, his word, and established my goings. He said, he not only got me out and said, okay, there you go, now you're out of the pit, see ya. He said, follow me. Follow me. You say, how do I know the path of life? You don't, he does, just follow him, he's the path. So I said, I am the way. I am the way. If, uh, if you're going to go into a wilderness area, and I'm almost done, so bear with me. If you're going to go into a wilderness area, in Montana is the Bob Marshall Wilderness, and down south of us in Idaho, you've got the Frank Church Wilderness. If you're going to go in there, how many of you would want to go on an excursion, seven, eight days deep into that wilderness, all by yourself with no one who's ever been there? Not I. 
you know anything about wilderness area, you go in, you find your way in, but you'll not find your way out. Am I telling the truth? What's the best way to go into a wilderness area and come out safely? Have a guide, and then they're your way. Just do whatever they tell you. You'll get in and out. Now, I understand human guides are prone to failure, but he is not. He said, I am the way. So how do I know what way to go in life? Just obey his word. That's the rock, and it's also the way. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. How do you get in pits, leaning to your own understanding? How do you stay out of pits? Follow his. I'm going to say something. There are many times you're going to come to the Bible and say, that doesn't make any sense. So, well, not me, Pastor. Everything in the Bible makes sense to me. Well, then you're probably not made the same stuff I am. But God's going to give you leadership in your life and you say, if it were me, I wouldn't do that. That's why he leads, not us. Amen? Amen. And so this morning, he established my goings, meaning the sheep says, now I know the way to go and I'm going to stay on, established means settled. I'm no longer leaning to my own understanding. I'm no longer turning. All we like sheep have gone astray. Not anymore. He said, once he pulled me out of the pit... He established my goings. No more going astray. I am now following the voice of the shepherd. Amen? And I understand the sheep shepherd is not used here in this 40th Psalm, but throughout your Bible it is. Brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. Is that all he did? And he hath put a new song in my mouth. You can try your best to sing a song for the Lord when you're in the bottom of a pit, and all you're going to do is pretend you've got something you don't have. But when the Lord delivers you, who puts the song in your mouth? He does. Do you know why there's going to be singing in heaven? Because those there recognize who He is and what He's done for us. To be worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Revelation 4, Revelation 5. Because when He's put you out, you know what? You don't have to fabricate praise. You are thankful to him for pulling you out of that pit. You don't have to try to praise. He put the song in your mouth by his own faithfulness. Amen. He has put a new song in my mouth. What is the song even? Praise unto our God. When, when you and I say, you know what? I am on the path I'm on today because once I was in a pit. But when I got to the place where I knew I could not deliver myself, I cried to him and he pulled me out. And he put my feet not in my clay like my enemy. He put my feet on solid ground. You know what? You can follow and I can follow our own imaginations, our own reasonings, our own understanding and end up in pits. But when we're basing our lives on the Word of God, we'll have an established going and a song in our mouth, even praise unto our God. I believe this this morning. Every one of us is somewhere in this account. The Bible says, verse 4, Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. This morning, I'm either in a pit, or I'm not, and if I'm not, I could be headed toward one. If you're out of the pit, and you used to be there, and the Lord delivered you, where are you here? Is your goings established? If so, my goodness, do we not have responsibility to tell others what He's done for us? That's what we call witnessing. And if you're in a pit this morning, there's really one solution for you, and it's not some magic potion. It's the Lord God Himself Pulling you out through his own word, through his own ability, through his own power. Setting you on the solid rock of his word. Establishing your goings. Putting praise. How many think that the David's disposition changed from when he was in the bottom of the pit to when he was out? 
What was the turning point? The point where he said, I cannot get myself out. Only the Lord can do that. And all of a sudden, instead of hoping and dreading the day the enemy came, he began to say, I wonder when the Lord's going to come. I've cried, and I'm just waiting on him to do what I know he's promised to do. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, hopefully they'll be one of the elect and they might get saved. No. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you rest your heart on that promise, he'll do what you call on him for. Amen? You may say, you know what, I've called him for salvation, but I'm in a mess in my life. You know what, salvation from the stranglehold in the pit of sin is the same as salvation from the pit of hell. You've got to look to him. Amen? Look unto him and be saved. Whether it is from the power of sin or from the penalty for sin, he's the Savior, we're the sheep. Mm-hmm.